Welcome to FootballGamePlan.com, where football makes sense. I'm Emory Hunt, the czar of the playbook here with Chris James, Teron Davenport. You can follow Chris at CJFlorida9. You can follow Teron at TDavenport underscore NFL. And we'll bring you day two Senior Bowl podcast recap, North and South practice. Both practices, guys, were in full pads. It was live. It was popping. Um, first initial impressions about this whole process again Chris is this is your second year coming to senior bowl to Ryan you've been here often I've been here often initially what are you guys looking for when you're coming down to watch a senior bowl practice so it's interesting to see the different pacings and how things are put together because it's never the same coaching staff year to year Mm -hmm. so they have their their different methods that they want to use so what I'm looking to see is really at least personally, the one-on-one battles because that gives me a true gauge of how guys are going to be able to perform Uh, from the perspective that not all these guys came from the same conference, came from the same area, but all of them have immense amounts of talent and that's the reason that they're here. For me, it's really about looking at the smaller school guys and and that's something, you know, having come from a smaller school, I kind of take to those guys and I really want to see how they're going to level up to the competition. Right. This is a big time week for these guys. And when you have the pressure on yourself to make such a huge impression in such a short amount of time, I think that really brings out the competitive nature. And that's where you, you see guys from these smaller schools just you know, doing everything they can to showcase what it is they bring to the table. Yeah, for me, it's just about uh, getting down, seeing guys live and up close, guys that you haven't seen live before. We always see live games. You've been to a couple bowl games. You go to games as well, NFL games. To Ryan, I go to college and NFL games also. So you tend to see a lot of players over the season, but here is an opportunity to see a lot of the quote-unquote top-tier guys in one place watching them live, and that's always important. It's also funny to see how quickly people can form formulate narratives based off what they had thought about a player or what they thought about a player coming into uh, this week. You know, you're going to see what you want to see. If you thought a guy like Evan Ingram was the best tight end, you're going to say he was the best tight end. And every drill he went through, you was going to say that was the best. If you thought a guy like Nathan Peterman was the best quarterback, you're going to come in and say, like, everything you saw, he was the best quarterback. And it just confirmed everything that you saw. So that's the funny part about this week. Guys just using this as a tool to confirm or not a prospect that they don't necessarily like or, or one that they do like. I just find that very interesting. You also see guys kind of get promoted and pushed up the rankings based off their initial viewing. We all know that's not the case because you may just have had a great practice today. I'm just going to tell a story outside of football. Sorry. Uh, I'm not going to use names. I'm just going to say when Billy Donovan was the coach of the University of Florida, there was a player who walked on. Mm-hmm. So I walk on tryouts. This guy, over the course of the time, had a mediocre performance. But Coach Donovan was there for two of his best plays, a block and a dunk. He's like, I want that guy. And that's almost what you're doing if you're just literally coming to get a snap judgment without doing a little bit of research on these guys. If the snap judgment happens, what do you do with it? You need to research it, make sure that what you saw also formulates on tape and that might not be the case for everyone. Uh, we, we try our best to make that happen, but that might not be the case for everyone. Sorry. And that's the major thing. You have to use this kind of as a tool. Like for someone like myself who is not able to watch every game or as much college football as you guys watch, I come in here and 
when I see a guy that I like, if I haven't seen him play, I always make sure I ask him, I need three games to watch of yours. What are your three best games to watch and why? And you use it as a part of the process. And just like the, the combine, you know, that's a chance to see measurables. That, while they're not important, they hold a certain role, but there's nothing more important than being able to see these guys firsthand, seeing them compete, seeing how they respond firsthand to some of the situations that arise. And, and it's just something you use in the whole process, it's not the end all be all. And that's the main thing that a lot of these guys that come here watching these prospects have to realize because you form your op uh, opinion over the long run. And the funny part is that you'll see guys come in and then uh, it just goes to show you that we can all be watching the same thing, but see it differently. So you have, let's say, approximately two to 300 people out there, credentialed media scouts and things of that nature, and you're out there watching practice, and we may see someone that's doing well, but a guy sitting next to us may see someone, see the same person and say he's not doing well. So it's up to the, you know, they say beauty is in the eye of the, the beholder, and you hope that what we're seeing or what someone sees that is a positive is universal. So if someone is catching a ball, you can't say he can't catch because that's something that could be completely an alternative fact, you know. So you have to really – I don't want to say you have to take the outlet with a grain of salt, but you also have to really think about that person's track record of success, how right or wrong they've been, and use that as, okay, do I take this – nugget of information that they drop, considering that everyone else around them is saying this, even if you agree or disagree, is it truthful or is it something that this person has proven time and time again to be completely wrong? And at the end of the day, I mean, I said it earlier, I don't expect to always be right, and I definitely don't expect to always be wrong, but I will always understand the why. And that's the important portion. Uh, understand the why of why you're getting the information you're getting from the sources you're getting them from. There may be an underlying reason as to why you're getting certain information. You probably just don't know what you're looking at, but <laughs> you, you look, let's look at, let's start with the practice. Uh, North team practice first, South team practice first. Yesterday, North got to touch the field first, 12 o'clock, noon, right in the middle of the day, which is great because you don't have to get up at 8 o'clock anymore and get to a practice after, especially spending all night, all night the previous night working on stuff, you know, we're gonna put it, we're gonna leave it at that. But let's just say, North team practice. Uh, what were some of your takeaways, Chris? Initial takeaways. So the initial takeaways that I had with the North team practice, it was really getting to see the guys work against each other who were on the fringes, the outside guys, uh, the wide receivers going up and battling against the cornerbacks. That was the interesting thing to me, and I really got to see a battle that. I thought was the best one of the day in Cooper Cup going up against Langley out of uh, Lamar, the cornerback. It seemed as if every time they were lined up in a drill, it was it was them one on one every time, and it was a good battle where the corner stayed in the, the the hip pocket, but the receiver made the catch virtually every time that he had the opportunity to do so. Yeah, for me it was uh, like we said earlier. It was really just the the pass pro drills. I mean, and, and also the one on ones on the offensive line. Uh, the linebacker out of Illinois, uh, 
what is his name here? Dwayne Smoot. Car- Car- I'm sorry. Uh, he was someone that really impressed me today. Okay. Uh, and you saw he and Hassan Riddick win in, in past pro. So I, I was really impressed. You know, Riddick is, is in the process of a position change. So mm-hmm. it was good to see him be able to do that. But I just like the physicality. Like you mentioned, the pads got on. And that's when you really want to see these big dogs. You want to see them go ahead and, and come to life and, and play the way that they're supposed to. Yeah, I thought Connor Harris of Lindenwood did well also in 9-on-7. In 7-on-7, seven, uh, seven seven, I thought he did well. 1-on-1s, he, he's, he kind of struggled a little bit, but I thought in you know team drills he did what he had to do, uh, showing up and being able to be uh, excellent in the run game, which is all 9-on-7, which is what that drill is. So I thought he did a, a good job there. I also like the fact that um, – the defensive backs, we watch these drills in the beginning. They have individual periods and, and where you work on your skill set and things of that nature. I thought all defensive backs in that drill look fluid from corners to safeties. didn't matter who. You're talking about the weave drill. Um, you're talking about backpedal, the W drill. Um, you're talking about turning and finding the football, backpedal for about 15 yards, turn, run, find the football. Everything they did where they had to use transition, they looked great. The guy who was most impressive to me was Boston College, John Johnson. Mm-hmm. I know that he played some corner in the past as well, but you were really able to see just fluidity. I mean, this is a guy who was able to, you know, backpedal, transition out, turn, go find the football. So he really stood out to me. His movement skills are there, so that definitely was impressive. Yeah, I looked at Langley, and again, when you're that long, I made a comparison earlier um, when I was on ESPN Coastal about – maybe an Antonio Cromartie, that long arm uh, type of a corner. Yesterday I talked about Namdi Asamoah and other long corners that, that play with good length. And for a guy that's 6'2", it's, it's rare to see someone that quick, you know, because outside of being matched up against Cooper Cup, I think that's a better, uh, you know, that's a matchup you'd like to see because they're both tall and, and physical. But when he's matched up, matched up against, let's say, uh, a Trent Taylor from Louisiana Tech, he's able to get out of that break just as smooth as Taylor is, and with those long arms, um, being able to bat the ball away. So I thought he was great throughout the course of the practice. And and also Rasul Douglas, um, another guy that's tall but shows fluidity. Um, You know, backpedal may need a little work, uh, but he wasn't asked to backpedal much at West Virginia, which is fine. That's something you can just pick up with practice. That's just about training yourself to backpedal. But as far as, like, using your hands to stay with the receiver – showing ball skills once the ball is thrown, being physical. One play we were talking about on red in the red zone where he knew he had the sideline. Mm-hmm. You know, so he just I'ma cheat inside, I'm gonna play the inside and ended up picking the ball off or batting the way out. I don't know if he picked it off, but just took away the slant. The guy still tried to run a slant. He jumped that, took that away, and knowing if the guy was gonna go outside, he had the confidence and his skill set to, to turn around, body him up and continue to pin him to that sideline to bat the ball away. So I thought those two guys, as far as cornerback play is concerned, played well today. And there was actually a guy who we had to check the roster because he was actually called up from the East West Shrine game, Arian Penton out of uh, Missouri. Mm-hmm. It was one of those fade patterns where he recovered very well on the end fake, got back to the outside and was able to bat the ball away. And like, who is – looked at my notes. Oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. I threw the roster. It's like he was at the Shrine game, and he did very similar things at the West practice at the Shrine game. So 
things just continue to carry. That's just funny, though, because you see, because people always want to say, oh, you need big corners, big wide receivers. But constantly, last week when we saw Jalen Myrick of Minnesota win one-on-one battles constantly, he's five nine and a half, five ten, about my size. And you saw you saw the guy from uh, Missouri out here today, Pinton, like you said, just winning those one-on-one battles, just being a uh, – you always use this adjective when you talk about smaller corners, pesky. Yeah, but he feisty, was just feisty, yeah, you know, scrappy, scrappy yeah. you know. <laughs> Nat wise, you know, like a little natty, you know, you know those type of little uh, uh, adjectives, and he was just out there just playing real good football. And it doesn't matter your size, and we constantly stress that, but people constantly focus on the wrong thing. And when you're a smaller corner, I, w- I would like to say naturally your hips are a little bit more uh, fluid because you're low to the ground, easy for you to change direction. And it's all about finding the football and getting up there and making a play. And he did that consistently last week and also this week. And, and the understanding of why these guys. So saying that a corner has to be big or small or whatever, if there's a certain thing that you're looking for and you do utilize larger corners, let's use Seattle and Atlanta yeah. for an example. Mm-hmm. Okay. But in general, I think that corners of a certain size get discredited, even though they're great man-to-man corners who can actually shut down larger receivers because they have the ability to box them out. Hey, one of the things Antoine Winfield used to do, oh, you can go up and jump and get the ball. Guess what? You're not going to come down with it. I'm going to punch that out. And I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, just transition from Winfield to Jordan Lewis, he's the guy that in talking to him yesterday, I kind of pointed out the way as a smaller corner, you have to fight all the way through the tuck. And that's something that the receiver comes up, he's going to have to, he's going to come down at some point. So you do have to punch the ball where you're going to have an opportunity to do that. So that's a good point. When you look at Penton, though, he is a scrappy guy. And (laughs) it's interesting. I like those, those corners who have that mindset, that, that mentality where they're, you know, they, they bark a lot, you know, they talk a lot during, during practice. And that's something Mm -hmm. you saw from Penton. If you remember last week, he was uh, the guy that was getting everyone else up. And I, I like that from, from someone uh, like that, a small corner. But Douglas also, one of the things that really stood out to me today was just the coachability. There was a time where they were running the, the deeper comebacks. And as you mentioned, the back pedal is a bit of an issue. It's an area for improvement for him. And he struggled to get out of his back pedal and, and break the ball up. They ended up catching the pass. But then later on, they came right back to that. And he was able to you know, transition smoothly. He went and he used his long arms. That's another attribute that he has in addition to his lengthy body. And he broke the pass up. So you like to see a player not make the same mistake twice and show improvement from rep to rep. And that's what Douglas did. And you also look at Obi Melanfanu, the corner, the 6'5 safety, 6'4 safety from UConn. Fluid. The giant back there, giant back there but still has the fluidity of a 5'9 cornerback, which is just impressive. But we talked about this the other day, how when you look at that UConn football team, like I said, we're going to talk about their linebacker next year. We talked about their defensive line last year. Uh, they're going to have a corner this this uh, next season, uh, two corners actually, and they have a receiver, Noel Thomas, that played in the uh, NFLPA game. So they weren't a bad football team. and You could understand why. They recruited well. And to find a guy that's 6'4", with that fluidity, those ball skills, and that range, uh, makes him an impressive prospect, and he also stood out today at practice. And they utilize him as a single high safety a lot. And because of his size, some people may think he's more of a box guy just because he's that big, strong, physical guy. But he had zero problems getting wherever he needed to be playing that single high safety. Yeah, I guess we kind of broke down the defensive backs. Um, but let's, let's just work our way back upwards. Uh, 
uh, with the linebacker position. And we talked about Connor Harris. We talked about uh, Carol Phillips. You mentioned Hassan Reddick. I thought he did a a great job as well uh, in in 707 and also in 101s. That's very tough for a guy to make. He played probably five different positions at Temple, came in as a walk-on, I believe, running back, and then moved to the defensive side of football and played other positions as well, which is why it explains his size as far as, like, he just got to 230, I believe, because he was about 205, 220. So, yes, there's still going to be some rawness to his game, but you like the athleticism to be able to play all those different positions at a high level, and we know how great Temple's defense was the last two seasons. And for him to be – so, naturally, when you go back and watch tape, yeah, he's not going to be able to get off a block. Um, because he's still learning the nuance of how to get off a block because he hadn't played enough of that against um, against offenses of different types of you know tight ends, tackles, fullbacks, things of that nature. So he's still learning that part of it. But what he has down pat is the athletic part, which is why his coverage and the ability to drop back in space and, and maybe get after the quarterback and turn that corner, he'll ace that. But the intricacies of linebacker play, he's still figuring it out. Absolutely. And we're going to kind of go a little bit off book. Is there an NFL roster that you think he'd fit well on considering the skill set that he has to offer? You know what's interesting, man? I, I wasn't as high on Ryan Shazier because I thought he played the linebacker position like a safety. He was loose. Exactly. So he ran sideline to sideline, did all those, these crazy athletic things. But when you needed him to fill a gap, you know, stack and shed – he could not do it. He ran around blocks. He got himself washed. He got himself blocked by fullbacks, receivers. Um, still, right now, does a lot of the same things. But he's slowly becoming better at being a linebacker first and not an athlete first, linebacker second. So I would say Shazier for a guy like Reddick would be the blueprint. You know, the more he's able to, to, to get, exa- uh, get uh, reps of being physical and having to fill a gap and having to, you know, to stack and shit and things like like that, he'll be much better at doing so. But the athletic stuff is what people probably are going to gamble on uh, wherever they decide to take him. And the coaching staff actually, not to get too far off, but the coaching staff in Pittsburgh actually utilizes that ability he has to do different things and move around. So they don't just say, you play here. Mm-hmm. They say, you do whatever the heck you need to, but they're training him how to play just the middle linebacker position. I mean, having a guy that eats up blocks like Javon Hargrave up front definitely right. helps, uh, you know, an athlete mm-hmm. like that. Because so. you see guys, uh, I mean, Pittsburgh drafted a defensive lineman last year or a year before last in uh, Daniel McCullers out of mm-hmm. Tennessee. He's like 6'7", mm-hmm. 350, right? Yeah. But people were like, man, he plays too high. He's not really that good. He's just big. But digging deep like we normally do, we found out that he only played football for six years and had three different D-line coaches. So when you come into college, it's more of a projection. Like, okay, he has size. We can't, you can't teach that size. We'll give him, we'll offer him a scholarship, bring him in. We'll bring him in. But, you know, you really have to coach him up and teach him technique. That's why you see maybe a guy like Tano Passigno, who we'll talk about later, had the same coaching. Um, It probably was the same type of size coming into Villanova but the consistency in coaching and getting that that rep that that rep work and stuff like that helped him become who he is right now. McCullers, once Pittsburgh got to him and was able to teach him how to be a defensive tackle, now he's part of the regular rotation. Plays a big role in keeping a guy like Shazier very clean at the second level. So sometimes, if it looks like it's bad, 
and the guy is here, you just got to trust that maybe there's a reason why, exactly. you know. And so dig a little bit deeper because it's not necessarily that he can't play. Sometimes that's the case, but for the most part, guys may have just started playing football. Yeah, and that's a big thing, and it's really a testament in that case to the Steelers or even just any organization that sees the traits in a player mm-hmm. and is willing to take those traits and mold them into what they want that player to be. That's why it's so important to have an outstanding coaching staff. You know who stood out today from the linebacking core? Jordan Hurtman of Simon Fraser. We talked about him yesterday about the Division Two program, Canada uh, product. Uh, he may even get drafted in the CFL draft as well, you know, being a Canadian-born citizen and also you know, playing up there. He's probably a high-round draft choice in the CFL. But I think for an inside backer, for he plays a fast game, and he played well today. He's going to look good in coverage. But he also has, I think, better run defense instincts than someone like Reddick does. You know? And so that, that was impressive uh, for me. What do, what do you guys thought about Derek Rivers today? At, uh, at outside linebacker. And I think he utilized what he did as a defensive end pretty well, not only up the field, but he was able to hold the edge. There was a run play, it was a stretch, and he rolled that all the way outside, out of bounds. Mm-hmm. So he did a really good job of holding that edge and making sure the running back didn't have a, a lane to get into. It's definitely going to be a learning process. He's not going to be a guy who is going to immediately come out and be able to cover or do that's, any of those things. But it seems as if he's making the transition through the process, and he's doing a good job so far. I think that's going to be the biggest adjustment. When you go from your hand in the dirt to rushing the passer, standing up, and you have so many other keys, that's something that talking to Brandon Graham, right. it just scrambled him. And he's a guy with similar, similar measurables. Mm-hmm. You know, Obviously, Rivers is a bit taller, totally. but that's the thing that really hurt Brandon Graham. So I, I just want to see how he's going to adjust from being able to get the passer to – now having to be in that situation where you're going to have to drop back in coverage. You're going to have to more have more assignments in the run game. Today, you know, a little bit of a – I saw a couple times there was a little bit of issue with coverage, but, I mean, that's to be expected because this is still a guy who's a defensive end now being asked to drop back in coverage when it's not something that you see him having to do often before. Absolutely. And you look at the defensive line, man. I think one guy that really stood out today uh, was Terrell Basham of Ohio. You know, he's a big physical yeah. player, but he's also yeah. quick off the ball. And we saw that evident as you know being evident in the MAC championship game against right. Western Michigan. You know, they, he was one of those guys where they had issues, you know, blocking him. And today, I thought, and you know, again, full pads, full tilt. Tomorrow is probably going to be a little bit more of a intense practice before they completely cool off for Friday, but Basham, I thought, really did a good job showcasing that that quickness off the ball and the ability to collapse and close very well for a defensive end. No, he, he did a great job in bringing up that MAC championship. I wasn't familiar with who he was, mm-hmm. and I had to, I was like, oh, that's the guy who was making it hard on Western Michigan to actually do what they wanted to do on offense and getting Zach Terrell all sorts of fits in the backfield. What other guys stood out to you in uh, defensive line? Well, looking at the defensive line, um, the, the USC, uh, I'm going to take a shot uh, to Colo, to Colovato. 
Come on, you're, you're, two you're e I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, two e kolavatu, two e kolavatu. I saw him a couple times, you know, creating mm-hmm. that pile in, in, in the middle of the line. So he would be another guy. But the, the, as you mentioned, that the main one was uh, Basham. He was, I saw him a few times, you know, flash into the backfield and, and be disruptive. So I, I thought Chris Warmly and Jalil Johnson had issues uh, in pass in the in the one on one drills. They really couldn't disengage properly. Or uh, you know, against the offensive line, we talked about Ethan Posick. He had Jaleel Johnson's number in those drills, and I think that's something that because again, they came off a very good day yesterday. Today, I thought they didn't do as well as we saw them do on day one. But again, day two, you expect guys to recover and quickly recognize what you try to do them on day one. That's the beauty of these practices. You can see which guys can make adjustments quickly. If you got beat on day one, can you make that adjustment and not get beat on day two? And I thought those two guys who were, I thought, stars yesterday came out today and wasn't as successful in one-on-ones. I thought Julian Davenport, he had a really nice rep against him. Uh, he was able to, to grab him and toss him out the way. Uh, it, it's good to see it. that young fella kind of adjust to the strength like we talked about yesterday at this level. So, yeah, Warmly did struggle with uh, that rep, uh, rep specifically. Now, you mentioned on the off, you mentioned offensive line, Julian Davenport out of Bucknell, just a very good athlete. He, he mm-hmm. did a really good job. Again, in one-on-ones, he just looks calm, patient. He attacks right the right way. His hands are where they're supposed to be. His footwork and hands are always in sync. He does a great job in – countering guys, which is important, and I think that's just awesome. So I, I look at him. I also look at uh, we talked about Jordan Morgan from Cutsdown. Yeah. He's just a, a very good athlete. I was surprised how well when they were doing that bag drill. He was he was moving through those drills really mm-hmm. well. So he definitely impressed me. Uh, I know coming in that, that he was uh, known as an athlete, and, mm-hmm. and it showed. It's just another one of those things where you want to see him level up, and, and he was able to do that today. And a guy who he didn't have the greatest start. Uh, speed rush got to him, Adam Bissawadi. Mm. Uh, speed rushes got to him. He actually continued to get a little bit better in handling those. So uh, I'll give him a bit of a kudos on that because it's pretty easy to go into can sometimes if you know you get beat two straight times in a row. And he got beat by Reddick. Yeah, yeah. Reddick right. got him right. inside move. Exactly. Yeah. And you know I look at um, Deion Dawkins. He, he and Davenport, I thought, did the best. And they were paired right next to each other. Um, I like that combination because you saw Deion Dawkins play tackle at Temple. Now, they kicked him down inside as a, as a left guard next to Davenport. I think that's a strong offensive line. I could probably get 100 yards rushing behind those two guys. And so he was matched up a lot uh, against maybe um, Ogunjobi or War- Warmly. Um, Smoot as well, and he held his own. So, again, this is a left tackle playing inside, so you're going to see left tackle traits um, with footwork and hand placement and being able to beat you to the spot first. Dawkins, I thought, did a great job today. And the thing is, a lot of times, you know, people will see that that transition from tackle to guard and think it's just a a naturally easy transition, but just to kind of get into a little bit, you know, when you're outside at tackle, you're outside. That's more of a one-on-one. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in space more. But when you're inside at guard, you have to, your hands have to be quicker because these guys are getting up on you a lot quicker. So everything takes place faster. And to be able to transition and, and make that change, I think, is definitely a testament to Dolphins. Yeah, I also look at you talk about Bisnawadi got beat inside. Uh, Zach Banner. 
struggled against quicker guys, beating him inside, beating him across his face. Um, and he's a big mammoth tackle. I, but once he gets a hand, his hands on you, he'll he'll do what he wants to. It's over. It's over. And but the quickness of let's say a Derrick Rivers or someone like that really got outside on him, uh, beating with an inside move, and you trying to move 350 pounds, shift it back change. inside. It's not going to change <laughs> like you wanted to. So I thought those two guys had a little off days, so to speak, uh, as far as pass pro is concerned. Tight end positions. Only three guys on the on the North squad. Sprinkle, uh, Jonu Smith, Michael Roberts out of Toledo. I thought Jonu Smith had a really good day catching the football. I just like how when he breaks out of his route, after you know he, he gets up into the stem and breaks in or out, he's accelerating past that defender and is pulling away. And he's a really good football player. He made a couple nice contested catches too. One of them I think was a throw from uh, Peterman mm-hmm. where, where he was able to – the defender kind of flashed in front, and he still held on to the ball. He just showed good concentration. And when you have a tight end like that, you know that's what you want. Uh, Michael Roberts, I think, did a, a, an outstanding job. I just every time I watch him, I'm still impressed at how well he moves to be 270 pounds. Very consistent catching the football, also. And actually, all three tight ends had a good day, cons- considering uh, it seemed like Jeremy Sprinkle's jersey was always halfway off because he's being held <laughs> on routes. <laughs> right. But, but he did a good job against contested catches as well. As we said, all three guys actually did a good job today, considering. Oh, receiver position, you talked about Cooper Cup. Mm-hmm. feel like they were they targeted him throughout the course of the practice in 707 and team drills. He caught everything. Everything. Um, which is why, which is what you expect from a guy that has virtually every receiving record in the FCS, broke all of Jerry Rice's records. I thought he did well, uh, especially in team drills, again, because yeah. they kept targeting him. He kept finding himself open. And you talked about it in our post game recap on video. It's a trust factor, and that's key for a receiver. And you saw them move him. At, across the formation he played different spots so people can't pigeonhole him as one uh, type of receiver he's able to play multiple positions and play them well again you don't break all those records if you can't do so and I tell you it's funny just kind of looking on Twitter and seeing some of these guys uh, oh uh, he can't play outside because he's slow well, I tell you what, there was one rep he was at he was at Z you know bumped out right outside of the tight end and he drove the cornerback Broke down, worked his way back to the to the ball. The quarterback threw it, obviously, when he when he broke. And that's not a route that a, a slow guy is supposed to be able to win on, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're not supposed to be able to drive a corner back if you're slow. But he was able to do it. So it's just, I, I mean, this whole speed thing and, and whether or not that's going to keep him from being productive outside is it's nonsense. He could play receiver anywhere you put him and be productive. I guarantee you he's not going to run a 4-2. That's all I'll say on that. That's, I don't care. Yep. Because, again, we were at an all-star game today, folks, if you, if you weren't aware. And this guy was open all day against all-star guys. There's a reason for that. It's, it's, it's pretty consistent. Yeah, we have the videos. You know, we don't want to get kicked out by the senior bowl. So we have the videos we can post showing the one-on-one drills and also showing the uh, position drills and showing how he's working – those cones and working through the bags and stuff like that. He's a legit good wide receiver. Another receiver I thought that stood out today uh, was Jamari Staples. I like how he eats up cushion, man. I think he really forces you as a corner to open up your hips pretty quickly. Then he stacks you, and then now he's just waiting on the football. I like to see him extend more and catch out with his hands because a lot of times he was letting – I tweeted out earlier that if you're catching the back or middle part of the football – 
that's a direct result of seeing it late and getting your hands up late. Right. And I feel like a lot of times he does that. He's a 6'3 guy, but sometimes he plays like a 5'10 guy as far as like trying to attack a football. You want to see him play big because you did all that great work getting open, stacking, accelerating, getting that corner, open up your hips. His routes were, were excellent today, but on the back end when you have to finish it, it's a little bit inconsistent. Absolutely, and that's one of the things we discussed. Uh, guys who got open, in my opinion, uh, a lot today and caught the ball really naturally, Zay jo- Jones, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, he caught the ball naturally, and actually Amara Darbo out of Michigan. Both guys were able to consistently get open and catch the ball here, where they were supposed to be making catches. There was no body catches, none of that. It was very clean. Yeah, Darbo is one of the guys that stood out to me. He caught the ball really well, especially he had a, a nice dig route. He ran across the middle, and he was able to catch that. So you're definitely right. Um, Zay Jones, it's interesting watching him because he's, uh, what is he? I think he's only like 6'2", but it seems like he's very leggy. Like you can right. really see him uh, kind of struggle to, to break down and get back to the ball. So that's an area for improvement for him. But the ball gets near him. He's catching it. I mean, the right. guy is very consistent with his hands. You don't break the FPS uh, reception record not being able to catch. I don't care how many catches you caught at or behind the line of scrimmage or five yards in front of the line of scrimmage. There was there was a lot of catches. You know, I was at that Temple game. He made a lot of big catches intermediate, you know, in the intermediate area. So, if you can catch the ball that many times, you're doing something right, and he definitely has the hands to make it happen. I'll tell you what, there's no coach on the planet who wants to keep their job that's going to keep throwing you the ball if you're not going to be effective once he throws you the ball. So I'll just leave it at that. And, and a lot of people would try to draw comparisons to Freddie Barnes. Remember him from Bowling Green? He had all those receptions, had the record, I believe. Um, or maybe it was another EC receiver that had the record that is now with the Falcons, Hardy. Just on. Yeah, but I think Freddie Barnes also had that record prior to Hardy breaking it, and people will make that comparison to uh, Freddie Barnes because he wasn't the fastest guy, but Barnes, to me, caught everything. You know, so I don't care how – if you can catch – like Earl Bennett, you know, Bennett caught everything, you know, so – uh, I don't care. You know, I just want you to catch the football. If you drop a ball, I'm going to be highly upset. As much as things have to go right for you to get the opportunity to catch the ball, O-line has to block, quarterback has to actually find you, deliver it accurately, and you get it there and you drop it, I'm going to be highly upset if I'm a coach. So you look at the running back position, speaking of catching the football well, I thought Sam Rogers out of Virginia Tech did a great job catching the ball. And people, we talked to him the other night, people going to sleep on his receiving skills. He's a legit weapon, yeah. you know, a, a versatile I like. I would say single back. I don't want to call him a fullback because, quite honestly, his blocking is just okay. I think his running is better than his blocking. His receiving is better than his blocking. Um, his blocking and team drills was was better than it was in blitz pickup. But I just like the football player that is Sam Rogers because he, to me, has the complete package. Yeah, he's he's more of an alignment fullback than anything. Because yes. I, I thoroughly enjoy him being put out in space and watching linebackers think that, oh, I have this, wait a minute, he just got past me. Because it consistently seems to happen. Even here, it consistently seems to happen. As, as far as a running back, sorry to jump in. I actually did like Corey Clement. He's that guy who, it, it, it's a quiet situation. He just continuously seems to get better running the ball. Actually, much better uh, pass catcher than I thought he was because I didn't get to see that utilized at, at Wisconsin as much. Uh, it was uh, always the other guy, Dari uh... Ogumbawale. Yes. 
Yes, it was always him who came in and passing situations, catching screens. But Clemson, was, he seemed like a very natural pass catcher for a running back. I thought it was interesting uh, yesterday seeing him back there catching punts. And that's what kind of told me, okay, I want to see how he's going to be able to catch the ball because you're mm-hmm. right. He was kind of like their power guy, so to speak, at Wisconsin. So it was good to see him. I think Kareem Hunt continues to, to show the ability that one cut and get upfield. I, I was impressed with that. You know, there were a few times where he would run this way and they would have the defense flowing and he would cut it back. And he did a good job with that. He also broke somebody off 20 yards away. Remember that play? Yeah, that dude. <laughs> yes. How you shake someone? The dude is 20 yards away from you, and you fall for a move. Yeah, they got him outside. They, he made that move. It was crazy. If you want to see what happened, go ahead and Google the following or YouTube the following. Uh, Jerry's Bird versus uh, Devonta Freeman early the season on Monday Night Football. It looked like that. He was about 10 to 15 yards away and for some reason fell for, for a move. So you'll get to see that if you uh, YouTube that particular. Yeah, it's, it's just, I was like, yo, you can't be serious. 20 yards away, dude. <laughs> like he got shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, finally for the North, the quarterback position. I thought today was a little bit up and down for the quarterbacks, but if I had to choose a guy that stood out the most today that really had a great day, it was Nathan Peterman. And, again, we talked about this in the car over here that – on you know, one particular the throw of the day that everybody was oohing and eyeing for um, was an over route or a crossing route to the tight end, uh, but he was open through three other windows, right? And so you, you expected Peterman to hit him in the first window. Right. Okay, maybe he missed him. Second window. Nah, I'm going to wait to the third window. And he hit him accurately to where Roberts caught the football and got out of bounds. But had he hit him in that second window, Roberts could have caught the ball and may still be running. So even though he was late, he was still accurate. And we see that on the South team with Pipkin. But I like how Peterman, you know, just strung together a bunch of positive throws and really, I thought, had the best day out of the the quarterbacks. He seemed the most comfortable in his situation. Uh, uh, The other two guys had their struggles. Sefo uh, uh, Lufau. Lufau. He seemed like he was trying to be too perfect, so it almost came off as robotic in some some particular situations, especially when they were doing uh, some of the movement drills, the inside the pocket drills where uh, you, you feel the pressure and they tell you where to go. Yeah, It yeah. didn't look like he was being natural because he didn't look like that at Colorado. Uh, and you saw Beathard have similar struggles. So Peterman definitely won that, that match today. Uh, I still like to see more consistency from the quarterback position uh, on the north side. And uh, I hope we get it tomorrow, to be honest. Hope you get it at some point because, you know, <laughs> as a receiver, you want to be able to showcase what you could do right. more than just running your route. So that's a good point. I think Peterman, the best throw he made, in my opinion, was that throw where he hit John o. Smith. That, that was the best one. Mm-hmm. But you're right, watching them in those in those drills, you're talking about where they had the big bags and they Correct. worked with them and find their passing lane. He did seem to be the most comfortable. And so he's a guy that's playing well and uh, had a lot of buzz coming into this this All-Star week. Uh, moving over to the South, starting with the quarterbacks, I thought uh, Josh Dobbs, once again, just played his butt off today. I thought he had a really good day. Pipkin, we talked about before, is just that, you know, he's accurate. He can make any throw he wants. You just want him to be a little bit more decisive right. and get that ball out quicker. He, he passed the ball one time too, too many. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm wondering if it's just one of those situations where he doesn't trust what he's seeing uh, and he's getting used to the, the situation that he's in. Mm-hmm. But 
I'd love for him to just say uh, and just throw that first instinct. Just make the throw because, okay, That's it. if you're going to screw something up, at least it's just practice. Right. Know? Just make the throw, man. Like I think, I think he had to throw it a day, though. That mm-hmm. throw there, too. I mean, that trajectory was perfect. <laughs> it gave him a chance to catch the ball and continue running uh, to Evan Ingram on that seam route. I think that was the throw of the day. But Dobbs, uh, we talked about it in the video. I really liked the way he was able to push the ball outside the numbers. Uh, he's one of those athletic quarterbacks that you, you want to use on boot. You want to you know get him on the move and allow him to make those throws that way. And uh, he showed why on that throw on the sideline one where they booted him out and he, he hit his receiver about 15 yards outside the numbers right along the sideline. Perfectly placed throw. That's what you want from a quarterback. And with Dobbs, it was weird. So when they were doing their, their individual drills and he had his struggles with those, but when it was full team drills, fourth quarter Josh Dobbs showed up. Mm-hmm. And that's what you saw. He was pushing the ball all over the place. He was being the guy that we've come to expect in big moments at Tennessee. But you know what's funny? And, and Davis Webb, you could you could tell Webb has a really good arm. You know, problem is he has to bring that level of accuracy to more of a consistent basis. Because I felt bad for Ryan Switzer because he kept being paired up with Webb, and he kept. Work, I mean, Switzer probably slayed at least fifteen defensive backs, ankles. Achilles, hamstrings. In this DB <laughs> almost sat down because he hit him with the with the jerk. Oh, and, and yes. Sat down. And I was like, oh my goodness. He was about to give up, but at the end of all that, Webb threw the ball seventeen feet there. So you can't keep doing that. I felt it, it would it wouldn't look as bad if Switzer was six three, but by him being five nine. Every ball that's way over his head looks like, yo, where are you throwing the ball? You know, so that's <laughs> and, and you know it's a mental hiccup because, as I said, when we when practice was over, Webb was actually the most accurate quarterback when they were just throwing at a target. When he had to try back and 20 yards away, throw at a person who was standing there, the ball came here every time. Like mm-hmm. He was the most accurate doing that. But it almost seemed like he didn't trust himself with coverage being – on a receiver. But see, here's the thing, and, and we bring this up all the time. People talk about the spread quarterbacks and why they can't translate to the NFL, yada, yada, yada. Maybe it's because it's the offense, it's a gimmick. It, none of that shit matters. Right. The reason why some quarterbacks struggle is because of the hash marks. The hash marks are so far away in college, you're going to see the pressure coming. You tend to make everything man coverage anyway because you spread the field so far. So now in the NFL with shrink with the closer hash marks the pressure comes at you quicker you're going to have to make quicker decisions and you're going to have to step up sometimes you may have to take a shot before you know take a hit in the chops mm-hmm. and deliver a ball and if you're not prepped for that if you're not if that's not in you it's tough to make that transition he and wasn't that's why ready. exactly and that's why you see guys um, struggle coming from because again those hash marks mean a big difference Huge. for a quarterback because of what you're going to see coming from your way pressure wise uh, at, in the backfield I thought Matt Days had a really good day 907 drills he, again you go back and look at his high school tape it's just consistent it's like Curtis Martin you, you don't understand why he's gaining yards but he's gaining all kinds of yards he's just constantly productive and he's been doing that his entire career, a quiet superstar that has found himself in Mobile, and he had a very productive day. Absolutely, and that's a guy who, as I watched NC State this year, I was like, this guy is hes not going to go in a high round because he won't have those measurables that people look for, but at the same point in time, he's just effective every game. Mm-hmm. It was almost frustrating for the defense to see. Uh, the guy I liked today was Jamal Williams. 
And it actually had less to do with his running than it did with his blocking. He was able to stonewall some guys in his one-on-one drills. And that's what, look, like you said, no running back wants to block. At all. But when you can effectively block, teams will notice that. And they'll bring you into the fray very quickly. Yeah, and just staying along that that theme of of blocking, uh, you had Donnell Pumphrey, a guy who gave up 50 pounds at least to uh, Bullware. And the heart, (laughs) you you don't want to block, but you know you have to do it. Right. And you're not going to back down. And that's he didn't. And he took on, there was one, that that one rep, I mean, Bullware tried to bull rush him. And he just kind of absorbed it. He didn't get blown back to the quarterback. And then later on, he... Outside rushing just kind of rolled him right out the way. I was impressed with the way Pumphrey was able to do that, and I thought that was something that he had to do. And it reminded me of last year when Tyler Irvin did the same thing. He stood up there, and obviously Irvin 10, 15 pounds heavier, but he stood up there and uh, took on uh, the the uh, blitzing linebacker. So they both stood out. And Freddie Stevenson is another guy I wanted to talk about le- uh, yesterday, but even just you know bringing it back to him. I was impressed with the way he was he was able to catch the football yesterday. Uh, today, he got one of those little inside handoffs, and I was surprised at how he was able to, to run the ball like a regular back, you know, so that was impressive to me. Looking at the receiver position, two guys to me I thought just were, were awesome today. Tywan Taylor of uh, Western Kentucky and also – um, Josh Reynolds of Texas A&M. I thought both guys had really good days. Taylor, to me, was winning consistently uh, in one-on-ones. You know, his route running was excellent. He did a great job doing his thing uh, and also stacking and making catches. I, you know, I, I don't get where this narrative came from about Taylor not being physical enough to make things happen. But he was excellent today. And Reynolds, you can Reynolds more is more of a, a gatherer. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know he's running fast, but he's slowly pulling away from you, and he tracks the football really well. Yeah, and he, he showed that on one of his over-the-shoulder catches, and he did a good job with that. Uh, Taylor is a guy. Just in watching him, he had a, a couple really nice reps against Trey Davis White uh, running a comeback route, and, and I, I definitely uh, he stood out. I, I thought uh, Trevin Trey Trayvon Trayvon Durrell. Trayvon Trayvon Durrell. Durrell. You were screwing his name up all week. All week, man. All year, to be honest with you. Uh, but, yeah, I thought uh, Trayvon Durrell stood out. I, I like the concentration that he showed mm-hmm. on a couple of the catches. There was one on the sideline. He ran it out, and um, it, it got bad. Uh, DeMonte Kazee was able to get his hand on it, and he knocked it in the air. But Durrell, you know, grabbed it with one hand and then just kept going up the field. So definitely good play out of the receiver position. I think you have to mention – uh, Switzer and just how Losing he's tearing, phone, he's tearing these guys. Up. The phone, and it reminds me a couple of years ago when Mike Campanero was here doing similar work, and you saw the DBs like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe you go, I, I'll, I'll take the next one. So definitely good to see a guy putting in work. And a guy who didn't have the most consistent day, but I think he actually had the best grouping of contested catches whenever corners were trying to drive through, he'd make the contested catch. That was Artavis Scott. And that's something he actually did at Clemson. It seemed as if uh, he was always that guy who even if you were hitting him, even if it seemed like an uncomfortable situation to catch the ball, he came down with it uh, more often than not. I look at the tight end position. I thought I was more impressed with, again, we, you know, we're going to talk about O.J. Howard in a second. But I just thought overall, all three guys more than held their own blocking. I mean, especially Gerald Everett. Right. Everett won all of his battles consistently. 
There was no defensive player that could get past Everett. And I think that's part, one, one part of his game. And we talked to him yesterday at media night, vastly underrated. People may look at him, new age tight end, speed, explosiveness, but his blocking was tremendous today. We know O.G. Howard is a, is a monster as far as blocking is concerned. And also Evan Ingram held his own. And we saw how versatile they used him in the backfield, like Aaron Hernandez. They flexed him out you know, wide, and we saw him get up the seam. He was great today. So I thought this was just a great day for the tight end position as a whole. Absolutely. And the biggest thing that they did with the tight ends, and they did it a little bit with the North. We did see them utilize the guys in different positions, but Today, it was it was joker mode because they put them everywhere. I saw tight ends line up at X, Z. At t- like it, was, it, was, it was weird how they utilized them in so many different positions. I think it's just the coaching staff that was using them, really scheming ways to get the ball into these guys' hands in non-traditional fashion. And I like that because when you have guys that can create matchup problems, you're silly if you don't use it. And uh, I think they did that. And, you know, O.J. Howard just – He's the problem on the I, next level, folks. He, he, there was a rep. He, he ran a corner route, and he didn't catch the ball. It was overthrown a little bit. But, I mean, just the way – and you got to remember, he's 6'6", with 245 pounds. And the way he just – he ran the route, leaned perfectly, exploded out his break. I mean, it was like Switzer, one of those guys ran mm-hmm. the route. And then to think you have a guy that big – able to do that with his catching ability. Uh, I, I honestly, man, he's he's a, a top 15 pick. And if he slides out, the, out of the top 15, something is severely wrong because he gives you so many opportunities to create matchups. Ingram is another guy. And I tell you, I didn't know much about Gerald Abbott, ever, excuse me, but he shined today, man. And, and I really like uh, a couple of the reps he had. Uh, there was one where he caught the ball on a, on a uh, nine route in the end zone, and it was contested, and he just caught it nice and easy. It, it stopped when it hit his hands. And uh, I'm impressed with this tight end group. I think that might be the best group here on the South team. Now you can't even front. That's a really good, strong group on both sides. I mean, yeah. uh, but you like you said, in particular the South, they got some weapons there. And we talked about O.G. Howard. I don't know where this I – don't, I don't know why people have to find, have to find ways to knock premier talent. Howard is a really good tight end, really good prospect. He's Jeremy Shockey like as a prospect coming out of Miami. He's Kellen Winslow Jr. like coming out of Miami, that type of prospect, but can block. Exactly. And that's, <laughs> you that's know? the whole thing is, you know, you have your flex tight ends, your inline tight ends. He's just a tight end. You can use him wherever you want to. He's just a football player, to be honest, but as a tight end itself, he doesn't struggle in any portion of his game He's going to have problems like anyone, rep to rep, but he doesn't struggle in any point of his game whatsoever. We said it yesterday, man. The guy never, you do not have to bring him off the field at all. And just the way he was criminally underutilized at, at Alabama, I think is, it's, it's a crime, man. Like I mentioned, he, the matchup problems that he creates, and, and if you don't take advantage of that, I just, somebody's going to get their hands on him. You're going to see this guy have you know, a, a 10 touchdown type of rookie season. And I'm not going to be surprised in, in the least. You put him 19th overall? I put him top 15. Hey, because you know who else is 19th overall? We're not going to call the names out, but you know who has uh, a prospect out the SEC at 19th overall. But I do think uh, you're right. Howard won't fall. Howard is clearly 
a top 15 type talent, you know, and so. I said it yesterday if Eric Ebron, who, nothing against him, went 10th overall, or was it 10th or 12th? I think it was 10th to Detroit. Mm-hmm. One uh, of those. Yeah. Either way, if he went 10th, O.J. Howard can definitely go 10th. And sure. looking at the offensive line, I thought one particular player had uh, – I thought Antonio Garcia had a bounce-back day. Mm-hmm. He did really well in one-on-ones. But to me, the best offensive lineman today out there was Connor McDermott of UCLA. Right. He was smashing cats. Consistently, I thought he did a great job in one on ones, nine on sevens, and even in his his positional work, you can see the athleticism and see the movement and see the balance within his game from top to bottom. And I think the more than any other unit, this offensive line had to step up because they had three inactive guys today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you saw them getting a lot of reps, and they took advantage of it. McDermott, no matter what he was facing today, I was gonna say it. He he was stout to say the least. Yeah, I was impressed with him also uh, to be that size. And the thing that I liked, there, were, there was one of his reps where he really used his size and kind of rolled the defensive end and then at the end put him down, jumped on top. Of him. You want that nastiness <laughs> out, out of a, a tackle. That was against Deshaun Hall. That's yeah. I didn't want to, you know, because – It's, I, it's I, a I, podcast. I, they want to know the thing. They want to know these things. Okay. You know it, was, it was against Deshaun Hall. I didn't want to call the young man out. But definitely was impressed with him. Um you're right. There were some guys missing. Uh, yeah. One of them, you know, he, he had a heart injury. Um, I say that <laughs> because his, his heart got taken by uh, Tato, <laughs> Indiana Jones style. <laughs> but, hey, I mean, sometimes it, it happens. Uh, Forrest Lamb will not be practicing for the rest of the week. So, yeah, the, the rest of the guys are going to have to uh, pick up the slack for sure. It's amazing what happens when you get dogged in the rep, right? You know, Shane Sun style, Mortal Kombat style, like just took his soul. <laughs> but all jokes aside, yeah, you're right. They were shorthanded. But I also like how uh, uh, Jessamine Dunker did from Tennessee State. And we talked about this the other day. Tennessee State does a great job in developing offensive linemen, defensive linemen, secondary players, and also perimeter players. There's a couple of receivers next year we're going to be talking about and there's a a tight end next year we're going to talk about from Tennessee State. So this is a very strong program. uh, Great facility, indoor facility they have out there as well. So their offensive linemen, we saw one get drafted by the Bucs or end up with the Bucs. We saw a guy last year end up on a roster as well. We talked about A.C. Leonard a couple of seasons ago. He's now playing defense in the CFL. Finally made that switch from tight end to defensive end, and he's wrecking shop up there because, you know, they're two yards off the ball. Right. That speed and athleticism, he's going to eat all day. So Tennessee State's offensive line, and their offensive line coach is one that supports his guys because he's yeah. constantly here. He's here every year uh, watching his guys get out there and perform. He's also watching one of his uh, players play in the secondary in Ezra Robinson. Okay. But Dunker, I thought, did a great job in one-on-ones. Defensive line. We talked about guys that stand out and guys that have had success. I think, quite honestly, one guy that has quietly stood out is Montrevious Adams of Auburn. Consistently playing with leverage, showing strength, uh, using his height and size to his advantage and getting quickly into the chest of an offensive lineman and just strictly walking them back into the quarterback. Another guy that did uh, the same type of things was Carlos Watkins out of Clemson. There were a couple times where he collapsed the pocket enough to where that, that rep was ruined. They <laughs> right. weren't able to do anything offensively. So 
Um, he definitely stood out as well. I think you have to look at Jordan Willis still. Uh, that swim move that he has is, is it's something that he continues to use, and it's impressive. So those are a couple guys. Uh, obviously, Passanio is, is someone who will uh, continue to, to be. He, he he got blocked. They were double teaming mm-hmm. him a couple times in, in those uh, the, the pass protection drills. But I, I think he just he continues to stand out, and, and he's a guy that you can't sleep on any longer for sure. Uh, absolutely. And on the defensive line for me, even though he didn't have – he got – he didn't do too well on a few reps, but he's a beast inside. That's Tanzel Smart out of Tulane. Uh, he's like a Tasmanian devil in there and hard to handle when he actually does get the chance to get his hands into you. Some of the offensive linemen were a little shocked when he was able to do so, and uh, I think that can be utilized on the next level if put in a proper position. You know who wasn't shocked? Ethan Pochett. That's who was – Eating his lunch all day long. Well, that was it. Was revenge because yesterday <laughs> yeah, yeah. he got his lunch, you know. So it definitely, and I, I think that's an interesting matchup because you got Poachers at six seven, mm-hmm. and you look at Smart. He's such a, a short, compact, he's just guy. over six feet. Yeah. yeah, and just to see those guys match up, and and you know, Poachers was able to overcome the, the the leverage part of things that's naturally generated by a fire hydrant like Smart. So. At linebacker, you know, what's interesting is that this linebacker group I don't think has that star power, so to speak. A lot of people – and Ryan Anderson is a really good player. He's probably what you consider the star of this group. But workmanlike effort today, I thought Alex Anzalone was by far the best of the group. And in run uh, defense, pass defense, I thought he played great today. And one of the things he did in pass defense was utilize the fact that he has some size to him. So. Mm Knowing that he doesn't have the requisite speed to keep up with some guys, putting a hip into him, uh, savvy, a little, little, little bit of a chicken so, wing, so right? So knowing those different things to actually make yourself successful is huge to, to move forward. I agree with you. And he had a rep against uh, Pumphrey, one of the guys who was more dangerous coming out of the backfield. He ran a, a wheel route up yep. the sideline, and you saw him turn and run with him. And I was impressed by that. And it just, you know, uh, condensing that sideline, for, for Pumphrey and kind of guiding him out of bounds, not giving the quarterback an opportunity to drop the ball in there. That was impressive. Yeah, you saw him use the hip, especially on that play. Yeah. Uh, one guy that he, he had his struggles in the passing game, and he's got to continue to work on that has Ben Bulwer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just didn't seem like he was natural with it, uh, and, and it, sh- it showed today. <laughs> That's a nice yeah. way to put it. Uh, in a defensive backfield, I like Cam Sutton. Uh, another one, you know, him and, and Eric Berry's brother, tremendous ball skills and returners at Tennessee. I think they alternate yeah. returning kicks and punts back for touchdowns. Uh, but he was always around the football and found the ball a lot today. And I thought Sutton had a really good day out there for the South team. I tell you what was impressive with him. There, there were multiple times where he was matched up with O.J. Howard. Now, I, I tell you what, you know, I'm a confident person. Mm-hmm. That's not an assignment I would want to draw. <laughs> <laughs> but he drew it a couple times and held his own, so he definitely stood out. Uh, I think Demonte Kazi continues to show uh, that ball skills ability also. Uh, I mentioned earlier how he was able to break up the, the throw to uh, Travin. 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 <laughs> get it right one day, man. I, I apologize. I'm going to get it right. But uh, – he was able to break that up. And you just see just the ability to break down and, and come down and, and, and get a hand on the football. And that's that's what I like about him. And you know what? In the secondary as well, Ezra Robertson, you start to see it slow down for him. 
and he's starting to play like he played at Tennessee State, um, which is great because he has tremendous ball skills. So I thought day two slowed down for him, and you're seeing a little bit more natural ability come from him, and he's not looking like he's thinking out there, which is great. And with Kazi, one of the things I noticed, he seemed to have the quickest break on the ball out of any of the corners or secondary members out there. But the guy that actually looked very comfortable in his own skin was uh, Justin Evans out of Texas A&M. Pursued the ball very well for a safety, and that's going to be huge when you're playing center field in the NFL. But also in the one-on-one drills, he seemed pretty comfortable in coverage, uh, which sometimes is a struggle for a guy who's used to playing back at safety. You know what's crazy about him? I, I think people will in the league will underestimate his his speed. Yeah, he is, yeah, he is fast. Like he can really. Uh, I would say when he uh, it was maybe like a fumble. Uh, not a, that's it wasn't a fumble, but you, they teach you to pick the ball up yeah. and scoop and score. He was covering ground quickly and he was jogging. And I was like, yo, he has some explosiveness to his game. So I can imagine maybe in a situation where they're playing cover three or something like that and they're trying to throw over the top or maybe cover two in that little soft zone between the safety and the corner, he's going to get there faster than what people probably expect. He's going to come up with a lot of interceptions. Yeah, he has a lot of range to him. Mm -hmm. He showed that yesterday. I think that's something that is going to be a big-time tool for him. Another guy, uh, Marquez White out of Florida State, I think he's someone that we have to mention because he's someone you rarely see him out of position. Right. Like he may not consistently uh, be able to turn and locate the football, which, you know, as a DB, you want ball skills. It's important. But at least he could be there and, and, and in position to be able to do so. You, you could help develop ball skills, but – just the ability to always be in that, that receiver's hip, especially on down-the-field throws, that's what he, he brings. I was talking to uh, Sanjay about him, and he said that, you know, in, in, in I think it was three years, he only gave up two touchdowns. So this is someone who, who has that lockdown ability that you want out of the corner. And he didn't fall for any of the jerk routes. There was a lot yeah. of those running. Yeah, we saw a lot of those. Ones. Yeah. He didn't fall for virtually anything. So you could definitely see that playing out in those uh, drills. So that's that's a wrap for North and South team. Now we're going to take it to Twitter to before we uh, get up out of no, here. No specialist. Right. Well, <laughs> you know what? I, I'll t- you know what? Let's see who can I call out. You know what? No specialist. Because um, <laughs> they, they did their special job. They they really did. They did their job over to the sides and. and but you know what? Even last week, you know, with Rico, the, the punter out of Idaho and the uh, kicker from North Carolina, you just kind of heard yeah. the ball and it kind of made you pay attention. Well, you know. We jokingly say this, and this is for the Senior Bowl, but last week when we were at another All-Star game, we really considered voting for a punter as an MVP because those punters were doing their doggone job. Rico had like three or four coffin corner kicks that were just outstanding. But again, that's why he was a football game playing preseason All-American. But who, who, who are we, you know? Let's hit Twitter up. Uh, this question comes from at Jared K. Mueller. Uh, he asked a question, how would you describe Hugh Jackson and Greg Williams' run? How do they run practice? Uh, pump the Browns hope or not? Nah? I think they ran practice very efficiently. Absolutely. Uh, it was different from the other. I mean, we're 37 minutes into practice, and these guys are still freaking stretching. stretching. <laughs> you know, right. I, I think they ran it very well, and I like the way there was so much um, – time devoted towards team period mm-hmm. so you got to see these guys in a game type situation and I, I give them credit uh, Greg Williams I was watching how he was subbing in and out you know uh, one of his calls uh, was Boa and 
you know, you would see him turning and yelling, and that the guys knew exactly who. There weren't any issues getting guys on and off the field, and that stands out. I mean, that's efficiency, and especially being someone who's just fresh into that that coaching staff, and to be able to come right in and do that, that impressed me. I think there's definitely hope because you're going to have an aggressive offense and an aggressive defense, and our special teams is what it is. I mean, they they have a really good kicker, uh, or rather punter, and, mm-hmm. you know, and Andy Lee. So I think that team will be able to compete in all three facets. I, when, I look forward to watching. And them. when you look at the type of practice it was today, it was also fast-paced as far as what they were trying to do on offense and even defense. They were moving guys in and out. And you have to think about this. Like you said, new coach to the coaching staff and Greg Williams. New players because these guys have never played together. Somewhere. Right. And everything seemed to work very well. There were very few hiccups. So uh, as far as uh, whether or not you all are going to have something to, to cheer you're going to do better from a record standpoint next year just period because you're going to have more consistency and continuity in it in that organization and i'm just saying you know um their second pick is a top 15 pick and i just continuously saw hugh jackson with his arm around oj howard just saying just saying there, there could be a, a a little national championship matchup I, right, I'm, hey, I'm just gonna hey, leave it right there. Hey, you maybe guys, QB, read, maybe a tight end. You read between the lines if you want to. Uh, this one comes from at Rad Seven Eight Duran. Robert Duran asks: Ob Melanfonwu checks a ton of boxes. Is he better suited as a strong safety or a free safety? Thanks, fellas. I think why designate him as either? Let him play both. You know, sometimes the situation may call for him to play back deep. Sometimes the situation may call for him to be an alley, def- alley defender with another guy back deep, depending on the matchup, depending on the personnel. Don't des- He's a safety. Hey, you know, I would say let him just play safety. And another guy who came out of that program that is utilizing that manner, Byron Jones, right. where they just they put him where they need him. Uh, so far in the practices, what I've seen are the practices that I saw. They used him deep. And, again, it looked intimidating, I'm sure, when the running backs were coming down here. Like, what the heck is this thing in front of me? So that's how he was utilized today, and he looked pretty comfortable doing that. And then when you have uh, safeties that are interchangeable, I mean, that helps you with scheme and just being able to, to match different things. So you want a guy like, like him that could do both. So I wouldn't pigeonhole him. I would just, like you said, just allow him to be a safety or even, for that matter, a defensive back. Correct. This question comes from at Kookie Kim thirteen fifty seven. Andrew Kim asked the question: Will any defensive tackles go in the first round? I think so. There's a ton of good defensive tackle talent, but from this particular game, I would probably say the best one is Jaleel Johnson of Iowa that has a great chance of going in the first round. I would actually say Carlos Watkins out of Clemson if I had to pick one. Yeah, I'm going to go with Watkins also. You know, you, you want uh, pocket collapsers, and that's what what he does. Next question came from him as well. He asked, amongst the guys that are at the Senior Bowl, which senior could be drafted after Howard? Probably, you know what? Now it doesn't It doesn't surprise me that to see some people had Everett in the first round. I would say Everett could be next in line going uh, after O.J. Howard if we're talking about tight ends. But there's so many, man. These are all good tight ends, you know. So I would say Everett. Just because I'm a Sun Belt guy, and I also was impressed with how well he blocked. I'm going to say Ingram because it goes back to just the league being all about matchups and versatility being such an important part of a prospect's uh, profile. And you saw them using him in the backfield. He played flex. You know, he lined up outside. They moved him all over, just like they did with the other other uh, 
other tight ends. But I, I think Evan Ingram would be, uh, other than O.J. Howard, a possible first-round option. I'm going to have to actually piggyback on that particular one just because of how he was able to be utilized at Ole Miss. They did not ask him to do a lot of blocking. He seemed very comfortable being able to do it here. And that's going to stand out because the pass-catching ability is something that we all knew about. But I, I personally did not know about the fact that he was able to handle himself very well as a, as a blocker. Last question comes from just a guy at Tequila0341. At Tequila sounds real nice right now. He asked the question, who are the best edge rushers and wide receivers you've seen thus far? Okay, let's start with wide receivers. I think it has been Chad Williams out of Grambling. He made a catch today, man. We, we just we just kind of like joked around. He It was a double coverage drill where they had the yeah. corner and safety. He jumped, you know, he jumped inside, gave him the, the you-know-what, caught the football. It's kind of just a natural. He's having fun out here. He mossed him. He mossed him. And you talk about a guy that enjoys playing. He was. We interviewed him last night. He's excited. He's enthusiastic. He embraces his opportunity. He loves being out here, and it shows on that particular play. He, to me, has been the star of this week because some people may say they hadn't heard about him. He's a relative unknown, but he has definitely made the most of his chances. Yeah, I mean – just the ability to catch the ball with his hands. I mean, I, I'm still yet to see a ball hit that eight and the four. And mm-hmm. I think that's a testament to, to him. I like the way he works. He's, he's, he works at the line. You know, he's able to get open uh, right there and win there. I, I think if you're going to put another guy in there, you could look at Taewon Taylor. I that's think Cuff is someone that you have to you have to mention. Just the way he was consistently getting open, catching the football. I mean, he kind of dominated a little stretch of, of team period. And see, the thing with Cup is he's probably going to end up getting overlooked because he's not flashy. Mm-hmm. And some team that always wins is probably going to end up getting a dude who's going to be another 10-year star for them because of that. But, yes, Taewon Taylor is a guy who stood out to me because when you see a receiver flash and he flashed, I was like, who the heck is this in the silver helmet and everything? Like, what in the heck was that that just happened? He still has some consistency issues, but – same point in time, the talent's there. Yeah. Pass rushers. Who's the best pass rusher? And that could be an outside linebacker or a defensive line in this group we have here, both north and south. Who, who's, who would you say is the best? No hesitation. I'm saying Jordan Willis. You know, he's just disruptive. He may not always get to the quarterback, but he's disruptive. And anytime you have a guy that could get in that backfield instantly, even if you don't get the to the quarterback, you're making him move. You're making him uncomfortable. And that's that's the one I would pick. I think uh, Rivers is, is another option. I, I really can't wait to see him live coming mm-hmm. off the edge mm-hmm. from that 3-4 outside backer position also. I haven't seen much of Willis here. So from here, uh, I haven't seen anything he's done. But I did watch a couple of games of his, including West Virginia game, Texas game. And for some reason, there was no one who could block him. Uh, he was, even if he didn't have the sack numbers, he, if they have a stat for screwed up the play, mm-hmm. he would lead the nation to screwed up the play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, I mean, it, it's a toss-up because you see someone like Willis uh, being effective. You also look at maybe, because you have to go to one-on-one drills because they don't really pass as much like you kind of, We've seen over the course of the Senior Bowl seasons, uh, we've come here. Um, but I still like, for some reason, uh, Smoot. I think Smoot has been real well, has played real well this week out of Illinois. 
Um, I think he collapsed the pocket well, and they run the zone read. He's able to find the football and redirect. Um, you know, guys, a lot of guys have flashed, uh, like Basham, you know, but I think Smoot has been a little bit more consistent. Hall has been fine, too. Um, but I think those two guys for me has been, have been the best. Now, if you're telling me who, who, who would you take, it will probably be either Davis or Passio because they have that work with talent that you can see translate. And also a guy like Derek Rivers as well, too, because, again, he can give you two for one being able to play on his feet and also with his hand in dirt. So that's a wrap for this edition of the Senior Bowl podcast, day two. Tomorrow may be a full practice as far as full pads. Um, you'll be heading out of here. Chris will be heading out of here as well. I'll be giving you guys a solo podcast tomorrow. Um, but we may see full pads. They may fool us and come back with shells again before they go no practice on Friday. So you'll probably see a lot more practice videos coming from us tomorrow. A lot of our interviews that we shot uh, last night, we did, what, 30 interviews? 30 cleaned up so combined the last two weeks 70 interviews of prospects that you're going to see play on Sundays coming from football game plan and again for Teron Davenport at T Davenport underscore NFL for Chris James at CJ Florida and I I'm Emory Hunt the czar of the playbook at F ball game plan we will see you tomorrow <laughs>